podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash career slash USBP. Brand new for the 2022 season, it's the RVK. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Jeremy, JN, Fiend Phoenix, and me, Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are recapping a bunch of stuff that has happened in the last couple weeks or so. Um, it's been a little while since I've been able to talk to the guests that we have here today, or I should say my co-host, Kyle Davis, uh, the deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. We're going to recap men and women and kind of look ahead a little bit to the rest of the conference slate. Um, Kyle, how are you doing today, man? It's... The, the high temperatures over 32 degrees for the first time in what feels like way too long. So yeah, seriously. Uh, I'm great. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the sun's out in Lawrence. It's it's like not, you know, going to melt or freeze your face the second you walk out the door. So, yeah, it's all good. And, you know, it's funny. I work with people that are based out in the East Coast, and they were talking about how it was so cold this morning because it was under 39 degrees for the first time in the year. And I'm just like, man, that would be nice. Like, 39 degrees. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's like short so, weather right now. After yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, all right. So we've got a ton to talk about. Let's go ahead and start with the women. Uh, the women had a, you know, a great win um, over Kansas State on Sunday on uh, on Kansas Day. The same day, of course, that the Kansas City Chiefs uh, went ahead and had their AFC Championship game win. I thought that actually the crowd was really good for that game. I was in, in-house there. There was a decent number of people. It was probably the most full that I've seen for a women's game. And now, granted, I think I think probably a good third of the crowd was was Kansas State people, but still, like there was a good crowd. It was definitely pro KU as opposed to pro Kansas State, um, and it was a it was an entertaining environment. It was a little weird that the lights went out uh, after the first quarter. They were out for about seventeen minutes, uh, I think, is what the official outage was. But that, that definitely made for an interesting uh, game there. They follow that up with a a hard fought loss. Uh, actually, last night from when we were recording against Baylor, um, you know this has been a very up and down team. From from what you've seen from them in the last few weeks, what is your overall impression of this team and how things shape up for them going into the home stretch of the conference slate? Yeah, I mean it's been you know it's it just seems like it's been <clears throat> unable to string some wins together. I mean they you know it was good to kind of like the men, they broke the three-game losing streak in pretty emphatic uh, fashion against West Virginia. But then just, you know, you you turn around and you have a really tough game against a ranked Iowa State team. Can't do that. You look really good against K-State, have a good opportunity to uh, Baylor, and it just doesn't happen. So that's, you know, it just seems like right now there's just, you're you know, on the one hand, you look at it, you're you're 20 games in, you're 14 and six, and you're only three and a half games out of first place in the Big 12. But you feel like, I think especially that, that Baylor game felt like 
you needed that one just to keep that momentum going because you, you're right. It's, it's, there's, you know, you started out conference play really well, had a pretty favorable schedule. You've, you've played some tough games, but you know, it would have been nice to build on, on that K-State win with a nice one there, knowing that you still have some, some tough matchups ahead. And, and Texas is, is one of those, you know, coming up this weekend. Yeah, I mean, that, that Texas game this weekend is not going to be a, a, an easy one. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to be in the building for that one like I wanted to be, but it's definitely um, worrisome. I think that they've kind of faded a, a, a little bit here and there. Um, they've been struggling a lot with fouls, and, and I think really what they've been struggling with is something that the men's team has struggled for quite a while, of putting an entire game together. Um, you know, they had a ton of turnovers in the first half against Baylor. Second half, they were able to you know actually play fairly well, but... You know, the defense was good in, in the first half. Baylor is missing some wide-open shots. Honestly, I think that that, that that first half was more just both teams missing completely wide-open stuff than actual good defense, I think, by either of the teams. But, you know, they, they were able to keep it close going into half, and then the third quarter kind of got away from them, and they had a huge comeback in the fourth quarter. So it's just one of those things that we saw earlier with the men's team where, you know, they were doing a lot of good things, but it wasn't turning into really good results for them. And ultimately, I think they're they're at a point where they're playing well and they, they could be very effective in the Big 12. But for whatever reason, it's just not coming together the way that you would expect, which is a little bit unfortunate, a little bit disappointing just with how, how great the season started for them. But there's still plenty of time. It's just a matter of getting everything put together, getting to the point, I think, where they are ready to go ahead and and make that push that they need to make. So I'll be interested to see if they're able to do it. Um, Texas is going to be a huge matchup. Texas is leading the conference right now. Um, actually, in, in both sides, both men and women. Um, you know, Kansas is going to get some opportunities, I think, to get some wins, to to get some opportunities to to continue uh, to play well. And, you know, they they don't have um, a, a huge difficult slate for them in the next few games. Um, and so that's, I think, an opportunity for them. Like, yes, the, the Texas game is hard, but they still have two games against TCU. They still have another game against Kansas State. Um, you know, I mean, they still have an opportunity against West Virginia and a few of these other teams. So the schedule gets a little bit easier for them. You would, you think the way they match up, they probably are going to be successful down the stretch. The problem is making sure that they don't get too far behind, that they have no chance to come back. And right now they're a full three games or three and a half games behind Texas for lead in the conference, uh, which means that they have a lot of ground they have to make up. They're going to need this one on Saturday if they have any hope, I think, of winning the conference at this point. Um which is a, a huge, tall task, although Texas has been dealing with some injuries recently, um, dealing with some other things that they've been able to, to kind of overcome that. Um, you know, Tyana Jackson has had some issues with, with foul trouble recently. She pl- only played six minutes in the first half uh, against Baylor. You know, she had some foul issues, not, not against Kansas State, um, or at least not any more than anyone else against Kansas State. But in, in the few games before that, she was limited because of foul trouble. Um do you do you see that more as teams are getting used to the way she plays and putting her in bad situations, or is it just kind of stuff that she's just not, for whatever reason, able to kind of stay away from a bad whistle? Because I will I will tell you the uh, the whistle on the women's side is getting just as bad as the notoriously bad whistle on the men's side as well. Yeah, and part of that is it's hard to say because you're right. You don't want her to completely lose her aggressiveness. And like one of the reasons why she is so good at what she does is she, she is going after balls to block shots and she's get grabbing rebounds. Like you don't want her to 
completely lose that. And I think when you know, just especially with college basketball refs and big men, we've seen it on the men's side too. Like there are going to be just those games where they're calling everything tight, and you know you're kind of sometimes even out in no man's land or no woman's land and uh, trying to fight off. So I don't know. I'm not. Uh, it, it's one of those things. I don't. I don't think it's. I think part of it is just how. It's something KU is probably going to have to live with. I think you don't want to completely get her to be passive on the defensive side. You don't want to be smart, obviously. And there was probably some, like you mentioned, where like a couple of those fouls could have been avoided, but you don't want to completely take her out of her game. Um, and at the rate that college basketball referees as a whole, I think like I, I joked that there's like, they're like philosophers asking what is a foul? Like it's this very, like no one really knows that. I think you just got to kind of have to like lick your wounds on some of those and just keep, keep going. And, and who knows on Saturday or any other time moving forward, if they're going to call it consistently, you know, one time to the other. So she's just got to keep playing her game, try to be a little bit smarter, but I don't, I wouldn't want her to completely lose that aggressiveness on the defensive side. Well, and and to that point, like she finished the game with three fouls total. So it's not like she was just fouling like crazy. Um, you know, for whatever reason, they stopped calling the fouls against her in the second half for the most part. Um, and, and that third foul, she actually picked up pretty quickly in the second half. So like, I think she had three fouls through like eight minutes of play or whatever, and then didn't foul the rest of the game. Um, you, you don't want to take that aggressiveness away from her, like you said, but um, you've got to figure out because you can't go like Kansas, Kansas ended up going down two at the half. And honestly, I think if they had Jackson in there, the way that she was playing, especially early, that they probably would have been up by four or five at the half, which would have been great for them because, you know, they only ended up losing by two. It would have been much more in range for them. And I think Baylor not leading at the half would have been a big deal. So um, you know, I, I'm, it, it's obviously unfortunate, something that you wish didn't have to happen, but it is also kind of just one of those things that happens in college basketball. I think what's most encouraging is the fact that they are, they are still maintaining the fight that they had. You know, they're not, they're not losing some of that edge. Um, they just aren't getting results to go their way, which is going to be something that happens a lot in, in college basketball. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, stuff just kind of not going a team's way, uh, look, Kansas State came into Allen Fieldhouse against the Jayhawks on the men's side, um, and you could tell that pretty much nothing went their way, although I will point out that nothing really went the way for anybody who was trying to avoid foul trouble because it was a, a horrible game in terms of foul calls. I think there was a 47 total fouls called um, in a 40-minute game, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, actually, because I, I saw a lot of K-State fans complaining after that. And if you want to know, at least I, at least the refs were very, very even, if you want to call it that, because between two games, both teams were called for 48 fouls apiece, which is also ridiculous in that even that one of those games went to overtime, you, so you're basically averaging a foul a minute, actually a little bit more. And it's just it's, it makes a very, very good product unwatchable. And it's it stinks because it's it's one of those things too where you could tell it here. There was a couple moments in that game where once they establish that this is what they're going to call, then they have to stick with it, and then everything's a foul. There was a couple of those where, again, fading away from KJ, and there's a hard, no contact, but they call it or whatever. Like Keontae Johnson was initiating contact literally all night. Uh, the, 
you just gotta the refereeing, and I'm not saying it once I that I'm not saying, hey, you got screwed by the refs. I'm not saying either team did. I think it was again the one thing I'll always say about the co- of college basketball refs is that they're gonna get you eventually. You might luck out one time and then they're gonna get you the next time. So like it, there's no point in complaining about it. It is what it is. I just wish that across the board they would let them play a little bit more because it's just it's hurting the product. I think self said it was a free throw contest in the second half. It's just they established very early on that there were certain kind of softer ticky-tack things that were going to get called. And then at that point, what are they supposed to do? Then suddenly not call them? Like they were already going to be have people lose their minds. They just kept calling it every single time. And then it was it was a train wreck from there. So, yes, it was it was a great game. Uh, I was in the I was in the field house. The atmosphere was absolutely electric. But my goodness, did the refs really try and ruin it by just having a stoppage every single minute, especially that second half? Well, and I think part of the point there too is that you know I saw a lot of complaints about how long they were taking to call fouls, and and while there was definitely an emphasis, um, you know, and and they and they talked about it during media day, there was an emphasis from you know the refing committees that they were supposed to let. You know, make sure that if they're going to call a foul, that it needs to be something that actually affects the play. So if a guy is going in, gets bumped just a little tiny bit, but goes and makes the bucket anyway, probably don't call a foul on that because, yes, there was contact. Yes, you could probably call a foul, but it didn't affect the play. Um, and it didn't necessarily make that shot any harder. If you, you know, foul a guy very hard and he gets knocked off course and then makes the bucket still, that's where you get into and one territory. The problem was they were taking that way too hard too much where they would wait for a good, you know, four or five seconds after the contact and after the shot hit the rim to then call the foul that happened, you know, three or four seconds. Or they before. were anticipating it. There right. were several times where it was an anticipatory either, you know, like there was a couple on those where when it felt like there was a spot in the second half where it felt like K-State could not buy a layup. And there was a couple of those where it was clear that, the ref, either as they were going up, it was like a, it was like a, oh, there's gonna, something's gonna be here, call the whistle, or it was like, he missed it so bad in your point that I guess he had to have been fouled, even though there was nothing there, they just missed yeah. it. So yes, there was a couple, you know, uh, my my wife is a is a big basketball fan, but she is not a rules expert, and she was making comments over and over again about how like the, the timing of these whistles, it seems like they're either on delay or they're like it just seems completely off and there's you could tell that i don't you know again it's been inconsistent all year yeah um, i mean it's it's one of those i understand the whole like i understand the intent of the way that they were directed to call it right in terms of you want to make sure you're not getting in those situations where you know you tap a guy on the arm and and they call a foul even though it did lack absolutely nothing like you know i i completely understand that but it's been taken to the extreme and it's a problem for sure when you have no idea, like you have to wait a full four or five seconds after a play is done to know whether you're going to get called for a foul for some contact that you had. Um, and then add on top of that, the inconsistency of, well, is this a foul? I mean, that led directly, I think to Jerome Tang's uh, technical foul here where, you know, you had, you had very, very, you know, and, and this is one spot where it, it benefited Kansas where you had, some uh, some significant contact when Masood drove to the basket. He did not get a foul call, and then uh, he actually was called for a foul with the exact same contact on the other side. Um, yes, Kansas definitely got a call there that they probably shouldn't have based off of the way it was called just before that. Um, but, you know, 
they kind of had makeup calls abound all over the place um, because it was it was bad all night long. It was inconsistent all night long. Like the balance of it was that it was just bad refing, and, and unfortunately, that's been the story way too many times. Is that the refing has not been biased towards a particular team, but it has been atrociously bad, and, and that is not something that you want with some of the best products that you have uh, across the entire nation with Big 12 basketball. So um, I don't want to make this the, the ref story, though, because that was a great game. Like, there was there was offense all over the place. There was really good performances from a bunch of guys. And it was really weird, too, because because of how disjointed the, the game was and how many times Kansas went on a quick spurt only to have their, you know, momentum stopped and then, you know, and then Kansas State makes a, a small comeback there. Like, this was a game, I thought, where... Kansas State just never was actually able to get back into it, but it always felt like they were just right there. Like it, they, you know, they were a, a a thirty second stretch away from Kansas State hitting a couple threes, and then you know Kansas having to deal with pressure. But you look at it like Kansas never let them get back into that game, never let them get close. And and I, I'm wondering how different it felt in the field house compared to how it felt watching it on TV, where there was so many stoppages and so much going on. Yeah that it was just hard to really to kind of treat that as the game that it probably was. Yeah. Well, and I think in the field house, you could feel from, you know, 30 minutes before tip, like this crowd's not going to let them lose or they're going to do everything they could. But I, it was, it's, it's interesting you say that because uh, before, right before the drone tank technical, I think it was like 15, 13, maybe 15, 11, something like that. And, and there's a guy next to me who says like, it feels like we're, we're about to blow the doors open. Like it felt like there was a run coming and and that's where like, even it was close. There was times there even where it was like, how are we only up 15? It seems like we're playing. So, I mean, <laughs> basically the first half was you had Marquise Noel hitting threes from the logo that were keeping a minute or, you know, Keontae Johnson bullying his way in and, and getting foul calls. But it really did feel like on certain times there, even before it happened, that KU was in control. So you can say what you want about the score. K-State, to credit them, and especially a lot of it came on the free throw line in the second half, did keep it manageable. But it felt like KU was always in control, and I think that's, a, that's an important differentiation. And that's something that because of it's the same thing we saw in Kentucky, which is something we did not see during that losing streak, is that there was always an answer. And it's not always Jalen Wilson. A lot of times, like in the Kentucky game, it was Jalen Wilson. But there was always an answer, and it wasn't even just on offense necessarily. There was a big, you know, Ernest Uday kind of misdirection grabbing a rebound or Kevin McCullough steal or something there where it just felt like any time K-State tried to get it within six and eight and you're like, okay, well, you know, there's six minutes left. They're only you know, three possession game. All of a sudden it's 12 again. It just felt like every single time. And this was the same thing at Kentucky. You know, Kentucky got that to a one point game in the second half. Jalen Wilson three, another Jalen Wilson three, uh, a couple big stops on, on defense. It just feels like it, I know there's a lot of different things we can talk about with the effort and energy, the bench, all of it, but it just, I think it comes down to, and we saw it last night, Kansas never gave up control, which is something that we did not see in in some of these other games. Even the first time, you know, it, against K-State and Manhattan, even though with the comeback, there were times where they definitely gave up control and then had to scratch back. That was kind of their MO at the start of conference play. This looked different the last two games, is I guess how I would put it. Yeah, and I think the biggest difference really was, like, it never felt like they had that much control just because no matter, like, how much it seemed, just watching the actual play and watching the style that, like, 
hey, they look like they're in control of this game, but guess what? The score never actually showed it. So it was like, it was almost like a deceiving, right? Like, um, you know, they, they look like they should be up more. So obviously they're not quite as in control as it looks like they should be because they're not up by more. And so kind of that, you know, circular logic or self-defeating kind of situation there where you're just like, how do you think about this game? Like, how are you supposed to, to kind of reconcile all of that together? And it was just, it was ugly. It was not fun to watch at all. You know, um, one of our writers over at Blue Wings Rising, Derek Knoll, who had does our, uh, you know, he, he, he does the player ratings and he, you know, ha- has to watch the games typically after because of where he's living right now. The timing doesn't actually work. Um, and he was like, man, all the comments on Twitter were absolutely right. That was the most painful game to watch that he has ever seen. Um, just because of how many fouls there were, how, how often things just stopped because the refs didn't know what they were doing or didn't know how they wanted to handle stuff. So, um, yeah, it was bad. It was not fun to watch for those that weren't there. I'm sure in the field house, it was a lot more of an enjoyable experience, which honestly, you know, if it's going to be fun to watch either in the field house or on TV, I would much rather be fun to watch in the field house because that's where it's actually going to have an effect on the game. But at least you got Jay Billis on ESPN Plus. Well, that that was the weirdest thing as well, too, because like, I, I don't know that I ever would have guessed that Jay Billis would ever call a game that was on ESPN Plus. Um, They're trying to get subscribers. Yeah, I, I guess gotta, that's I guess that's what it was, right? Like, you want to get Kansas, Kansas State. You want to get a top a top eight matchup on ESPN Plus with one of the best or with the best analyst in all of college broadcasting. Um, yeah, you know that's that's the way to do it. So yeah, don't send don't send them to Kentucky. For oh, Kentucky gosh. Ole Miss, that's, there's nothing there. I mean, you know, same time slot. So, yeah, you might as well send them to Lawrence. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, But, you know, just like watching the Jayhawks in person, even with an ugly game, um, is much, much better than watching them on television. Um, another thing that is just so much better in person is the fantastic apparel from a sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Get that stuff in person, and it's just going to be – it's just so much better to look at it when you actually have it and you're wearing it than when it's on the website. But Homefield Apparel has the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, all that fun stuff. Um, but they have crazy logos, all kinds of great stuff for more than 100 different schools. Um, and they keep adding new stuff all the time. They're doing a bunch of refreshes this week. I believe they had Iowa State this week um, and then some other schools as well. Like a bunch of a bunch of rivals apparently for West Virginia. So um, lots of great stuff. They keep adding new stuff all the time. I saw that they had like Duke stuff. And and look, I don't like Duke, and I would never wear any Duke stuff. But I have to admit, it's some pretty nice looking stuff, including the quarter zip that they have. I'm hoping that they have a nice quarter zip for Kansas when they do a Kansas refresh, because my understanding is that they're going to do a refresh of every single line, uh, at least every single Power Five line, at some point during this calendar year. So be on the lookout for that if you have not already. Use promo code CHOCK12 when you go over there. You can get 15% off your entire first order, and all orders over $100 have free shipping. All right. I do want to go ahead and talk a little bit more about this game and look ahead. Um, But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only, Tortillas and Takes Podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. 
And we're back. I'm here with Kyle Davis, deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. We are talking about the Kansas men's basketball team um, because, let me tell you, that was an ugly game. Before we really move on from this game, um, you know, a couple different things that really stood out to me. Dewan Harris had an absolutely fantastic shooting night, 5 of 6 from 2, 2 of 6 from 3. You know, he was active and all over the place. Kevin McCuller, who got the MVP in uh, in Ken Palm, you know, was also just playing out of his mind, although he was 0-7 from 2. Like, he didn't make a single two-point shot the entire night, but was 2 of 3 from 3 and had 10 free throws that, that he made. Um, he was the only player that had a double-double for the, for the Jayhawks, which I found a little bit surprising because Wilson didn't get the rebounds that he normally does, although he got pretty close. Um what was your your overall like? Was there another player that really stood out to you for what they did offensively, or or um, was it really kind of Dewan Harris as the surprise guy of the game? I mean, I think I think Dewan was the the surprise, maybe in the fact that especially a lot of his points came in in crunch time at the end. I mean, he hit a he hit a three to get it back from I think was it it was eight at the time and he got it to 11 um he had a couple big floaters at the end he was he was aggressive and I think it it's one of those things because I, I think leaving that game there's a couple of things that came to mind and I think your your circular thought uh kind of caught this because it's one of those things where what we've seen the last two games that we did not see during the losing streak was a, an aggressive mindset from both Duan and Kevin and KJ of uh really attacking and i know bill talked about it on the post game after the game about how you know it's almost kind of like uh you know running the ball in football like duan's just got to shoot even if he misses it you have to make them like account for it and you know like you can't you can't say it that you can't you know set up the play action if you never actually run the ball in football so i think there's one of these things that again why i say it's circular because i was most impressed by the bench and i know and it was not just because of offense although we did get the most you know kansas outscoring another opponent's bench by 10 uh would would have seen unfathomable probably what two weeks ago maybe but um it was the effort it was i mean you know yesafu and pettiford were flying around everywhere they were being attacked uh, uh aggressive uh you know clements and uday like uday in the post now is is looking like a madman he's doing less of chasing blocks and getting out of position and more about kind of holding his ground and making them come to him, which has been good. And obviously we've seen what he does when he is on the other end of an alley-oop. And the reason why it comes so full circle is because I think there's a couple problems. I think in that time when, when Harris and McCuller and Adams and some of those weren't being aggressive and they were really struggling, part of it was confidence. And I think part of it was they were banged up and they were exhausted. And what you need is you need those bench points, like those bench minutes, are critical. You look at this game, Clemens played 15 minutes, Yesifu played 14, Pettiford played 13, Uday played 10. You, you need those bench minutes and that energy off the bench and that competency to spell so that Dwan Harris doesn't have to play 39 minutes every single night. And, you know, if, if Grady Dick's going to get in foul trouble or he's not shooting, you know, before basically what it was is that you had maybe six guys that Bill trusted. They were all tired. If a couple of them weren't hitting shots or weren't confidence, then it was all on Jalen Wilson and maybe whoever else had it that night to do it. And so I think that's why, you know, especially the yes to and Pettiford minutes to spell Dwan a little bit. And, you know, who knows, like if, 
you know, if he had played 38 minutes at that point instead of 34, does he hit a couple of those late shots? Are his legs a little little too tired? He also, I should be pointed out, just completely played amazing on, on Marquise Noel over the course of two full games. And, you know, that defense there again, you know, I, I just think it's one of those things where the – We've, we've seen a renewed energy and passion and fire from the starters and aggressiveness, I should say. But I think part of that is done because of the level of play of the bench. And I think Bill's starting to trust them more. And you're seeing that. And you can't really have one without the other because eventually they're going to get tired or they're going to get in foul trouble or they're going to get hurt. Uh, and so that's why it's kind of a full circle. Yes, Harris was great. And I think part of what made him great was the play of Yefsifu and Pettiford to spell him, not make him have to run the show. He can play off the ball a little bit too. And really there's, they're bringing that fire and that energy off the bench as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was probably like Dewan Harris's stretch recently reminds me a lot of, you know, Devonte Graham, or um, I'm trying to think of some other, you know, recent point guards who you saw them take a step back in their offense because they had to step up their defense. Um, you know, even Frank Mason uh, to an extent, although he was a phenomenal scorer in college. And so it wasn't, you know, he didn't have to take nearly as much of a step back, but um, it's not that surprising. I think, right. That when you have to be on the floor and you have to play lights out defense against, you know, a guy like Marquise Noel, the entire game, it's hard to get up with the same amount of energy to go on offense. Um, and so, the fact that Dewan Harris, the fact that Kevin McCuller had those breaks. And, you know, this was a game, again, with all of the foul tra- – like, I don't even know how much of that was actually them, um, you know, getting the rest because other people were playing well or more other people were playing well because they had to be out there because of foul trouble because, you know, there was a point where Kevin McCuller got injured, um, you know, had that the, the hand injury that he was able to shake off. Grady Dick was on the bench with foul trouble. Um, you know, at, at one point we had uh, – we had KJ Adams and uh, and what was it? Uh, KJ Adams and Zach Clements on the, on the court at the same time. You know, we had we had I think there was a point where we had Bobby Pettiford and Joseph Yesufu and Dewan Harris all on the court at the same time. Like we had some really funky lineups in this game, mainly because and it didn't yeah it didn't help that MJ Rice couldn't play either. That's one of those where when yeah. Grady gets in foul trouble, you would love to have him and his athleticism that. That whole time I was like, oh, this is a this is an MJ Rice second half because of his athleticism and how he plays. And you find out later that he had back problems too. That's just yeah. another one of those those areas where we're banged up and guys just had to step up. Yeah, and it's one of those like self-talked afterwards about how Pettiford like pulled a calf muscle or something or did something with his thigh. And it's like it doesn't appear to be something that's too serious because he, he came back in the game after it. But you know, then McCuller with the hand injury, uh, again, came back in after it. Um, Kansas is getting a little bit beat up, which is kind of normal in Big 12 play, which is how good everybody is. But um, that's something to watch because you don't have the depth that you would like to have. Zuby Edgefor being, you know, sidelined for at least three weeks is what I heard, um, you know, with his ankle. Like, that's not a good thing for this team that has depth issues that really needs to kind of figure out who all is going to be available because of foul trouble and all of this other stuff. So, um, but, but, but speaking of who's going to be available and looking ahead, um, Next game for Kansas uh, on the, on the men's side is going up to Ames for the for the you know the, the rematch of a very very close game in Allen Fieldhouse uh, where they barely beat Iowa State. Um, Iowa State is a team that just lost to Texas Tech on the road. They had a twenty three point lead in the second half and gave it all back um, to lose that game against Texas Tech. So 
Um, what are your thoughts going into this game? Is this an like is this something where you know this is an Iowa State team that's going to be upset and is going to be uh, fired up for this game? You know, at home against the Jayhawks, or are you more? Um, I guess reading more into what happened for them against Texas Tech and thinking that that might actually be a good thing for the Jayhawks. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's tough because I think you can look at Iowa State's last probably what six games, and it's it's all about the location of where they're playing uh, because they are zero and four on the road and two and zero at home, and so you know they. But and those two home wins are against Texas and Kansas State, so those are not those are not fluky. And that's one of those things where, you know, they lost to Kansas barely on the road, came back and beat Texas at home, lost to Oklahoma state and still water by two came back and beat Kansas state. But that also, you know, there, there are two road games before Kansas and then Oklahoma state to that point, two point games, close, tough environments. I understand how they were able to come back in those. This does feel a bit different. They got, they got whooped pretty good by Missouri uh, in Columbia, and then the to have that Texas Tech, which again, you know what, I, I also don't want it to make it sound like uh, Texas Tech is some bottom feeder because I was I was watching that Pitt UNC game last night and thinking that Texas Tech could probably finish in the top half of the ACC. Like the ACC is just dreadful this not, year. Not even probably. Um, like they definitely. Yeah. Would. They, <laughs> so this is not a this is not an insult on Texas Tech, but they were also didn't have Pop Isaacs in in the game against Iowa State. So. I, that is one of those that's such a debilitating loss that I could see kind of like what happened with KU and TCU where TCU came in, hit us in the mouth, went back to Baylor. It's a short turnaround and, you know, it just isn't there. I I do think it'll be closer because it is in Ames, but I do think this is also slightly different if I had to, you know, try and get into the the heads of the Cyclones players then maybe those first two losses that were close on the road, and then you can kind of get amped back up. Yeah, the other thing to think about, too, I mean, you know, I, I see from people all the time that there is no such thing as momentum in sports, but there is definitely, you know, there's slumps, there's all kinds of other stuff that would, I think, speak to those actually being a real thing. Um, Kansas is a team that has a lot of momentum right now. They are doing a lot of great things. They have a lot of stuff that's going well for them. The wins against Kentucky and uh Sorry, the, yeah, the, the wins against Kentucky and then Kansas State, I think, did a lot to get them back on track to where they needed to be. And you look like, yeah, they barely beat Iowa State, but, but uh, you know, Iowa State had some excuses for the, the, the game against Missouri because Caleb Grill was out, who was a huge part of both their three-point offense and defense. Um, you know, they, they, they're still missing Jazz Coons. Um, he might be back for this game, but you got to think he's going to be a little bit rusty and they've had some issues without him in the lineup. You know, you have to wonder what they have here. Like what they, what, what you saw against Texas tech was a team doing something that I don't think I've seen from Iowa state in a very long time is that they got into a little bit of a rough spot and they panicked and Texas tech was able the to take advantage. Were bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's one of those things I think where, yes, it will be a little bit easier, you know, against, against uh, Kansas in Hilton, you know, trying to avoid that kind of spiraling. But Kansas is also one of those teams that has played really well on the road and, you know, has a really good opportunity to take advantage of turnovers that Iowa State might be able to do. So I will be very interested to see what Kansas is able to do and how they're able to take advantage of the fact that Iowa State is not a very good team when it comes to turnovers. I mean, 
you know, they turn it over on 19.4% of their possessions. And yes, Iowa State does turn over their opponents quite a bit, but Kansas is, I think, a very good team in terms of, you know, they definitely have times where they do turn it over, but they're nowhere near as bad at turnovers as a team like Iowa State is. So um, that's probably the thing that jumps out to me still, just like the first game is, you know, how, how much can Kansas press their advantage in the turnover margin because Iowa State turns a lot, you know, turns their opponents over quite a bit, but usually they're giving the ball right back afterwards. Yeah, and the other thing that does not help Iowa State in a close game, which this might be, is that they are by far the worst free throw shooting team in the conference. Oh gosh, um, so yeah, it's if, bad. If, 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 if they're they're at for Big Twelve play on its own, they're at sixty six percent, and they don't ever they don't get to the line much. So it's not even that it's a high number. Like that they, they. So if this is if this is a if this is a one possession game with 30 seconds left and they're down and having to foul or vice versa, like that can drastically change. I, I would not feel confident uh, if I'm a Cyclones fan and, and the game is decided at the free throw strike uh, in the last minute or two. But yeah, it's one of those things where they, they've been efficient on offense, but they, when they have a shot, but they, you know, they're, they're good at driving, grabbing offensive rebounds, but they're not better at it than like a Kentucky or somewhere there who Kansas just had to, to, worry about that with same thing with yeah it, it's they're a lot like kansas state they they turn people over but they turn the ball over they like to grab offensive rebounds but they also give them up quite a bit i think the re- the the recipe is there uh in some of these recent games for what you can do uh, against them now if caleb grill how he started that texas tech game where he was what was he six for seven to start the game yeah uh, it was, it was something ridiculous like that yeah if he goes off and has another one of those or, or Kausher and Lawrence just felt like he was making every circus shot available, like then they are, they are good enough defensively that, you know, that you have to, I'm curious to see what, you know, if this game ends in the sixties again, or if it can get to 70, cause it would definitely be first to 70 wins, but that offense just goes through so many lulls. Like you saw on the second half of Texas tech that I, I don't know if they can score consistently enough with the way that Kansas played defense a week and a half ago. Yes. I think Iowa state at home could score enough to win because that was ugly. Kansas's defensive intensity, the last two games, if that travels to Ames, I don't know how Iowa state scores enough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird too, because Iowa state is the best free throw shooting. I'm sorry, the best three point shooting team in the conference, but they also don't shoot it very often compared to other teams in the conference. So it's a weird mismatch of, you know, like they're the best at something, but they don't utilize it. Um, maybe that's a coaching issue. Maybe that's just a, you know, personnel issue where they've got a few guys that can shoot really well, but don't have enough of them that they can do a huge volume of those shots. That that's definitely a possibility. And Kansas is third and Kansas is third. So it's not like you're going against a team who can't shoot at all. Right. Exactly. So, all right. Well, I think we're just about out of time. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the, uh, the Jalen Wilson article that you wrote with him on being on a historic pace, but We'll, we'll have to talk about that next week, most likely, or the next time that you're on, because I get the feeling that that's going to continue. But uh, make sure you yeah, guys I'll do an update for that one. Yeah, I was going to say, make sure you guys do check out that article. It is a fantastic article, um, you know, and, and we, we are definitely wanting to do more of those sort of feature type articles on the on the website there. So make sure you guys go over to Blue Wings Rising and catch that. And of course, all the great coverage that we have over there. Um, if you guys also you know, can can go ahead and go out wherever you get your podcast, which Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there, 
and give us a rating and review. Five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast. You guys get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network over on Sports Drink. Uh, fantastic networks over there. 1012 covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, including all the new ones that are coming in. In fact, we have new podcasts getting ready to join the network uh, to cover some of the additional teams that we still do not have podcasts for. So lots of great stuff happening over there. Go to 1012network.com uh, to get links to all the great shows that we have. Um, make sure you visit our sponsors, Home Field Apparel, PricePicks.com. Uh, use promo code CHOCK12 to get some great deals over there. But that is going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.